Welcome to the Grade A Movies Podcast. My name is Larry Lannon. We talk about films, we talk about movies in this podcast. Our regular contributors are Alec Toombs and Adam Awesome, the two men who write for GradeAMovies.com. our episode for October 24th, 2020. And we have a lot to talk about today. We will talk about horror films, Halloween-type films you might want to find a way to see again. Or we uh, talk about some current films that are streaming and a few that are actually in movie theaters. So let's get started. Welcome once again to the Grade A Movie Podcast. My name's Larry Landon. It's my honor to host two gentlemen who are writers for Grade A Movies, the Grade A Movies website. It's at gradeamovies.com. Just put them all together. Just write it down on the computer, gradeamovies.com, and you're there. Adam Lawson and Alec Toombs are both with us as uh, the two men who are contributors to that particular website. Adam, welcome once again. It's good to talk to you again. Good to see you guys. And Alex, same to you. Great to get together with you again. Good to see you too. My wife is out, and I had dogs outside, so I'm trying to. If you hear a dog, uh, we'll 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 handle it, Alex. It's okay. Um, yeah, we haven't uh, done uh, one of these for a while, both mainly because we're all busy. I'll, I'll say I've been busy lately, and also there hasn't been a lot to talk. Oh, you've got the dog, Alex. God bless you. Okay. <laughs> What's we have to talk about your dog? What's your dog's name? His name is Rocket. I actually have two right now. Uh, we have friends staying with us. Uh, my wife and my friend Marie is staying with us, and her dog Lexi is here. Okay, and uh, I know Adam. You've got you have dogs at home, but you just don't put them on camera, so we know no, they're that not as well behaved. We wouldn't be able to hear anything. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, we we were dog lovers. Uh, we actually have grand dogs. Our kids have dogs so that's our our dog uh, development all right we're going to talk about a number of of things going on right now i'd like to start off with some film reviews uh some that have been on gradeamovies.com with uh, the gentleman who are with me now i'm going to start with alec alec you have recently reviewed uh, a film called tremors tell us about that uh yeah i watched sorry my dog's acting crazy okay. now um <laughs> he didn't like the movie huh? No, uh, he didn't like the other dog coming over oh, while he's okay. cuddling. All right. That's Please go Sorry ahead, Alec. That. That's okay, Alec. Uh, yeah, I watched Tremors Shrieker Island. It's the uh, seventh installment in the Tremors franchise. Um, Michael Gross, who a lot of folks know from Tremors and from Family Ties, uh, reprises his role as Burt Gummer. He is the only cast member from the original Tremors to have appeared in all seven movies. Um, it's a direct-to-video movie. I uh, streamed it on Netflix. I was actually very pleasantly surprised by it. It's not a great movie by any means, but it was very entertaining. And it's a shame that theaters aren't open because I'm sure this was going to be a huge box office release. <laughs> I mean, I, uh... They had a good actor playing the bad guy in it, uh, an actor named Richard Brake, who shows up in a bunch of like exploitation movies. He's in a lot of Rob Zombie stuff. Uh, he was in Mandy with Nicolas Cage a couple years ago. Uh, the movie's just a lot of fun. It's kind of like Jurassic Park and Predator meets Tremors. They're on an island. Um, it was it was a good time. I mean, it's not high art, but okay. I enjoyed myself. I like the original Tremors. I never mm -hmm. saw any of the sequels. 
I don't like the original Tremors. I love the original. So Tremors. how many sequels is this for Tremors? <laughs> Have you counted them yet, Alec? Or? This, this is lucky number seven. Okay, number seven. Uh, Adam, you uh, posted a... <laughs> you posted a review of Barat. I think I know exactly how you feel about this film. It is not in theaters. Uh, tell us uh, how, where you came away on, on that film. So, and I'm in the minority here. Uh, Borat 2, which we've been instructed not to call it that. I think it's got four different titles. Borat, subsequent movie film. Borat, great success. And then a really long title, Borat. Give gift to premier, vice premier Mikhail Pence, some crazy long title that I can't even remember. Um, but but uh, it's about 86% on Rotten Tomatoes. So most people are enjoying this. I would probably fall in that 16% that would give it a C or less. Um, and that's, that's where I fall. It's not Razzie level bad. It's not worst movie of the year. But it falls into the same trap of most comedy sequels. And I'm talking Airplane 2, Caddyshack 2, Meet the Fockers, um, Anchorman 2, Zoolander 2, where it's really hard to capture the magic from the first comedy uh, movie. A lot of it is the element of surprise isn't there. And some of the gimmicks or gags become old when being redone. Um, Sasha Baron Cohen, the comedian who plays Borat, it's got a lot of challenges here. 14 years later, his character is still well-remembered, which means the real-life stunts or pranks that he pulls on unsuspecting people just really aren't possible. Borat's too famous. When Borat comes around on the street to try to trick someone, they know it's a gag. So he's got to put additional makeup on in order to try to trick people. Some of it is successful, and, and some of it doesn't work as much. The other problem is, and I think it's the same thing if they ever do a Napoleon Dynamite sequel, Borat has been impersonated by a lot of people. The My wife has been quoted uh, endlessly, and so the character that was once endearing may come off as annoying after so many years. And also, the first one had some political satire in it, um, making fun of, I think, particularly the guy in the rodeo who said some homophobic comments was kind of showing how some people in America felt at the time. The political satire in this one is a lot more overt, which doesn't bother me. But I've said this to other people. I think it's really hard to skewer Donald Trump's America because it is so out there, so crazy. Today's politics are so unbelievable that making fun of it is difficult. It's hard to do. Well, I, would, uh, I would think that stick would be really hard to keep going after that first film, which uh, was funny. How could you be funny like that for film after film? Now, he did allow some time to pass, but I still think that's a very difficult thing to do. i got to give him some credit on a few things. One, because he couldn't do as many improvised skits with the public, um, it has a stronger narrative than the first one. Uh, this involves his daughter, who his daughter's 15. I think the actress is much older. It's an unknown Bulgarian actress who plays his daughter. And she's actually quite good. And some of the funniest scenes in the movie involve her. And I, even at the end, there's some sweet moments. So the storyline is stronger in this one. Um, so I don't think it's the worst movie. If you have an Amazon Prime membership, which most people do, and you have an hour and a half to kill, it's worth it. I wouldn't sign up for Prime just for this. I mean, it's not that good. 
And if it was in theaters, I probably would have stuck to streaming on this one. Yeah, Amazon does not have a bad lineup in terms of their films. So it, it you wouldn't want it necessarily for one film. Some people just get it for the delivery service, but... Uh, it is what it is. Let's go back to Alec. Alec, uh, you uh, just posted a review of, uh, you kind of put two films together, although the two different films, you kind of put them into one uh, review, the the, uh, the Kid Detective and The Honest Thief. Tell me about those films. Yeah, it's my uh, first trip to the theater in a while. They actually released some new movies last Friday, so I figured I'd get while the getting's good and uh, go see some movies. Um, the Honest Detective, or pardon me, combine the titles there the uh, kid detective uh is a canadian film directed by uh first-time filmmaker evan morgan it stars adam brody who folks may remember from the tv show the oc from the early 2000s as well as uh jason reitman's movie thank you for smoking and uh the brad pitt angelina jolie vehicle mr and mrs smith i've always liked adam brody uh i think he's a good actor i think this may be the best he's ever been kind of uh jumping off on his comeback performance from last year's uh, Ready or Not, the uh, horror movie in which he was a standout. Really enjoyed the movie. I always liked him. He, I mean, he's, he's not good enough. He's a good-looking guy. He's funny. Um, I think he's charismatic. Um, the concept of the movie is essentially playing off like the whole Encyclopedia Brown idea, if you ever read those books when you were a kid or remember the old HBO show. Um in this scenario, Encyclopedia Brown grows up and becomes an alcoholic and is still trying to sleuth, but isn't especially successful. Okay, let me go back to, to Adam. Adam, uh, you've just recently seen Rebecca, a remake of a, an Alfred Hitchcock uh, classic. What did you think of that? What, have you seen the original, Larry? Years ago. Yeah, it's been a while. So I rewatched it recently. Remember I, I told some of it on the podcast that I was trying to watch all of the best picture winners and rebecca is actually the only alfred hitchcock movie to win best picture at the oscars and it's one early in his career um i think most fans of alfred hitchcock would probably put the original rebecca not even in the top five of the best alfred hitchcock movies most people would have rear window psycho the birds um north by northwest vertigo all of those would probably uh be favorites above rebecca but it's got a lot of uh, classics elements to the story. It's got a gothic mansion, a kind of a ghost story where the wife is haunted by the memory of the husband's deceased first wife, a uh, crazy maid that can't be trusted. So there's a lot going on uh, in a mysterious death that they have to kind of solve from the original Rebecca. They revisit all of that in this remake that stars Lily James, which you might know from Downton Abbey. I know your wife was a fan of that. Oh, yeah, Larry. absolutely, yes. And um, uh, Army Hammer, who I think is underrated. You might remember him from Call Me By Your Name. Uh, he also had a, a funny cameo in uh, Sorry to Bother You um, with the – if you saw that movie, that movie is really out there. Yes, I, uh, I saw it. I, I liked it more than most people did. Yeah. So um, it's got a good cast. Kristen Scott Thomas actually really excels as Mrs. Danvers, kind of crazy housekeeper maid um, in the original and now in this one, too. Um, she's a little more like her character in uh, Nicholas Winding Wren's uh, Only God Forgives, more than, say, English patient Kristen Scott Thomas. So she really chews some scenery in the movie. It's beautifully shot. 
nice, bright, vibrant colors, especially contrasted to the black and white original. And uh, if you haven't seen the original, but you like those kind of stories, you might enjoy it. It's not getting good reviews on Rotten Tomatoes. And I think a lot of it is people are comparing it to the original movie and comparing it to the book and saying they like the book better. They like the original movie better. That may be true. Um, I didn't love the original and I've never read the book. So I thought this one was just fine. Um, but it's streaming for Netflix. So again, you don't have to spend any money. It is in a few movie theaters. So if you do want to go to a theater and get a theatrical experience, this is an option for you. I'm going to go to my film, and my film did have a theatrical release. I'm not sure it's playing in Indianapolis any longer at a theater. It's The Trial of the Chicago 7. The Trial of the Chicago 7 is something I think I'm the only one on this panel old enough to remember. And that trial went on for months. And there were news reports every single day. Network TV had a story every day. There were wire service stories. All the major newspapers covered this trial. Uh, It was all about the Democratic Convention in 1968 and the anti-Vietnam demonstrations that happened there. And there were seven people who were indicted for inciting to riot at that Democratic convention. I'm just going to, this was a real ensemble cast. It was uh, directed and written by Aaron Sorkin. Steven Spielberg was originally supposed to do this film, and you know how that works. You know, these, these big name directors and producers, they get waylaid and they end up uh, with another project and never get one finished. And so, Aaron Sorkin picked this up. Uh, I think the script was good. I think he did a good job directing it. As somebody who lived through that era, there are parallels between what America was going through at that time and what is happening at the present time. It was a, Because it's an ensemble cast, there are tons of really good acting uh, performances. But I'm going to just name a few. There's a man named Eddie Redmayne who played Tom Hayden. This was before he was married <laughs> to a famous actress. Uh, but uh, uh, So he played Tom Hayden. Uh, he, Tom Hayden was uh, the leader of what was called SDS, Students for Democratic Society, which was a, a left-wing group of, of college students. And you just and here we go again. Another name we've already mentioned, Sasha Baron Cohen. He played Abby Hoffman, who was with the Youth International Party, called the Yippies. And the another leader of the Yippies, uh, Jerry Rubin, was played by Jeremy Strong, who's had a lot of really good acting possibilities lately. Uh, there were some other roles. Uh, William Kunstler, the attorney, who uh, always took on the kind of cases no other attorney would want to touch. Uh, Mark Rylance did a great job. I knew a little bit about Kunstler, and he really had Kunstler down. Really, I think, uh, studied him carefully. Another one... Uh, the man who played a, a whistleblower, Joseph Gordon Levitt, he played Edward Snowden, plays the prosecutor, the prosecuting attorney in this film, who was Richard Schultz. And, and he, really great scene where there was one case where Bobby Seale, who was one of the Chicago Seven, the only African American who was charged, was angry with the judge because the judge would not let him represent himself. His attorney had a, was recovering from surgery on the West Coast, so he would intervene all the time. And the judge kept uh, telling him to be quiet and was constantly, you know, charging him with contempt. Finally, he ordered the the federal marshals to take him away and do what you have to do. What they did is they took. 
seal away, beat him in another room, gagged him, bound him, put him back into the courtroom, bound and gagged. Well, this prosecutor saw this, this man coming into the courtroom, bound and gagged. And he said, I need to, we need to approach the bench. He comes up and says, we can't bound and gag a defendant in America. I'm calling for a mistrial. And they, Judge Hoffman, who I'll talk about in a moment, had no choice because prosecution wanted to do that. I mean, those are some of the crazy things that happen. But Joseph Gordon-Levitt's character, the prosecutor, kind of changes. At first, he thinks these people all should be found guilty. And he's, as the trial went on, yes, he still did, did his job. But it's like you kind of see a change in that man. But by far the best acting performance in this film is Frank Langella playing Judge Julius Hoffman, who had a reputation how should I put it, not being the best judge in the federal system. And uh, the way he handled this trial, and I'm not an expert in the law, but you don't have to be to see how he didn't get things done right. And also a great cameo by Michael Keaton playing the former Attorney General Ramsey Clark. Uh, he was terrific in his little cameo role. Uh, just so you know, I mean, it's, I don't think it's any secret, uh, the film ends with all, seven, all the six remaining defendants, being found guilty and getting five-year prison sentences, which were overturned by an appeals court who ordered a new trial. And the U.S. attorney just flat out said, I want nothing more to do with this. And these, they were never charged again. So they went through all this and nobody ever went to jail. So you see the parallels between now and then. You see the political upheaval that was going on at that time. Uh, what you do get the, the the feel of is that it wasn't known at that time, but there was a commission that came later called the Walker Commission, which studied the whole situation in that Chicago convention, and they came to the conclusion that it was a police riot, that it wasn't the demonstrators that started the violence, it was the police department. And it comes across in this film, and, and um, Sorkin uses a lot of those findings that came later to tell the story. I think it's a good film. I give it an A. I like it. It's... Uh, uh, it is streaming on Netflix now, although, as I said, it's had this, its limited uh, theatrical run. And uh, I would highly recommend the film. I think people of today could get something out of this. Any comments so on the two of you? I'm a Sorkin fan. I think I've seen every movie that he's written or been involved in and uh, watched all of his TV series, too. And I think you saw his uh, show on Broadway, too, his version of uh, To, to Kill, Kill a Mockingbird. You know, here's the thing. Yeah. He respects history. That's the thing about Sorkin. When he took on To Kill a Mockingbird, he was scared to death. You know, it's an American, as a book and a film, it was part of American history uh, as far as uh, as our cultural history was concerned. And even though he made some changes, they were very gentle and more up-to-date, I think, uh, reflecting the race relations today as opposed to when the book was written and the movie came out. So he respects history, and I think he did the same thing in this film. He respected the history of what happened at the Chicago Convention and also what happened in that trial. And I think he respected the history based on the record that came then and a little bit later. So got to give him a big credit for that. Who knows how Steven Spielberg would have handled it had he written I always give Aaron Sorkin credit because he took a topic which you thought could never be a movie. It would be way too boring in Moneyball. Oh, yeah. Moneyball was, <laughs> that was a great You're film. You're talking to baseball fans, though, Adam. I, I know from Larry's Facebook, 
he likes baseball, and I certainly like baseball, so it's probably not boring for us. Well, it, you don't have to be a baseball fan. To, you don't have to be a baseball fan to enjoy Moneyball because there's family involved. It's 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 uh, there's the statistics. It's a different way of looking things. So it helps to be a baseball fan, Alec. I think you can be a non-baseball fan and still like that film. But I think he took something that a book that was tough to adapt into a movie, and he turned it into a great film, an Oscar-nominated film. Aaron Sorkin is good at taking true stories, things that may be boring. The West Wing is probably responsible for getting a lot of people interested in politics in the first place. And wouldn't it be nice if today's politics were more like the West Wing? You know, I don't even want to go there. <laughs> we got an election coming up in a few days after we record this. Okay, maybe after the election we can talk about it. I mean, you're yeah, a politician. You're a. What did you say? I'm sorry about that, Alec. I'm planning on voting this afternoon. Well, good for you. Good for you. Well, Adam, for those who don't know, Adam is a member of the city council in Carmel, so he knows a little something about politics. I'm going to do something that uh, Alex suggested. Uh, We are close to Halloween at the time we record this. His suggestion was take horror or scary films and kind of give our favorite. I got five favorites. Alec, it was your idea. Why don't you just uh, list some of your favorite films in that genre? Sure. I have a uh, top 15 favorite horror movie list on Letterboxd. <laughs> I could just take my top five if you'd like. Do, um, as you wish. Would you like me to go five to one or one to no, five? I'm, I'm, my list has no particular order, so go as you wish. Okay, I, I will go five to one. Uh, my number five is uh, A Quiet Place, a movie that really made an impact on me a few years ago when it came out. Um, I was really just pleasantly surprised Uh by what a good filmmaker John Krasinski is. Uh, I found the movie really emotional. And for horror, I like horror movies that have an emotional bent to them. Uh, I like slasher movies and whatnot too, but if you can elevate the stakes through through love and emotion, I find that that almost makes things scarier. Okay, well, I mean, I, that did have a terrifying edge to it. It was it was in the running for my top five, didn't quite make it, but it's it's a good film. Go ahead, please. Uh, my number four is Pan's Labyrinth, which a lot of my picks are probably movies people would debate me. Like, these aren't horror movies, but um, there's monsters in it. There are horrific acts. I just thought it was a beautiful and powerful movie. Uh, Guillermo del Toro, I think, is one of the, the best working directors working today. No, it's a well-shot film. It's a, it looks very good. I agree with that. My number three is uh, Jonathan Demme's Silence of the Lambs. Some people would call it a thriller. I think it's a horror movie. I think you're um, right. I think it is a horror film. Yeah. Brilliant performances from Anthony Hopkins, Jodie Foster, um, Ted Levine's great in it. Just super, super terrifying. I can't think of many scenes of movies scarier than her being in the basement of uh, Buffalo Bill's house and him having the night vision goggles on. It's absolutely terrifying. My number three. Go right ahead. My number two is a uh, Swedish film, a vampire movie uh, from about 10 years back called Let the Right One In. Great movie. Yeah, beautiful movie. Kind of a slow burn with a huge payoff at the end. I'm not going to go into specifics with that. A lot of folks may not have seen this movie. Uh, just a wonderful movie. There's a good American remake of it, too, uh, called Let it was, Me In. It was unnecessary, but it was well done. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think Matt Reeves directed it, who went on to do uh, the, the recent Planet of the Apes movies and is now doing the Batman. Okay, um, qu- question for Adam. How does, how's a movie unnecessary? 
because it's one of those remakes where they just it had only come out a couple years before they remade it because people didn't want to watch subtitles from the first one. Okay. So I don't think there was a reason to make it. I think you could just watch the original with the subtitles. Uh, they did do I did a fine job, but it was you, you've seen it. Foreign films remade purely because they didn't trust American audiences to read subtitles. Let me in is a good movie. Let go the right one in is a great movie. So we're ready for number one, I think, right? Number one is Jaws. Oh, and I keep okay. into it with Joe Shearer about this. He insists it's not a horror movie. I can't think of much scarier than getting attacked by a shark in the ocean. It's a I was just on beach vacation. I was swimming in the ocean all the time. And, and Jaws did jump into my head here and there. Well, I think it's a it's a movie that gets you out of your seat. It's 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 a thriller film. Whether it's a horror film or not, I think we can argue that. But it certainly is a thriller film. That's for sure. So yeah, I if you look at uh, Halloween type films. Yeah, I just remember the first time I saw that film. I was a good friend of mine. He's this big, burly, tough guy, and I I had to work uh, late shifts, so I dropped him off at his house. His wife and kids weren't there, and said, "Would you mind coming in with me?" He didn't want to go into his house by himself. That's how much that film just scared him to death. Okay, good list there. Do uh, you have any favorites you'd like to list, Adam? I'll do five too, and I won't do any overlap with Alec. So. Um, but a lot of the ones that we're going to do overlap with Jaws, Silence of the Lambs, there's a borderline for me, whether they're horror or not. So those will be eliminated. Um, number five, we've got the Omen, the classic Gregory Peck, uh, Lee Remick film, uh, by Richard Donner. And, uh, it's the story of this family where the mother, the child dies in childbirth. And, uh, but there's another mother who died nearby and they get this adopted son that she doesn't know who little do they know is the son of the devil. He's Damien and, uh, it's creepy. It's got great acting and, uh, it holds up. The sequel is actually not bad. The Omen two Omen three is awful. Yeah, uh, I agree. Both Omen, both the first two Omen films were terrific. I, I'm with you there. Both of them were quite scary. After that, it dropped off badly. The remake is fine too. I mean, uh, it. I said fine. I didn't say it was great. <laughs> um, number four, I'm going to go with another. Again, we're going with kind of the satanic theme. The Exorcist, uh, the first uh, horror film to be nominated for Best Picture at the Oscars. When The Exorcist came out, people were vomiting in the bathrooms. Mm-hmm. Um, they said someone had like a miscarriage during the movie. They said the whole production was haunted and cursed, that Satan didn't want this movie to come out. And the production itself, people died on the set. They were electrocuted. There was like a snowstorm. The history of The Exorcist is almost as interesting as the movie, and it's a great film. Well, some of that was... Uh... How should I put it? The, the, the publicist did a good <laughs> job on some of that. I remember that hype in those days. No, there's no question. The Exorcist is a horror film. Um, number three, I'm going to go with uh, probably the best slasher film ever made. Halloween by John Carpenter. Well, John Carpenter got this idea because he wanted to have the idea of what it felt like to be followed. And those opening scenes where Jamie Lee Curtis is in school and there's this creepy man in the shadows following her, it's this slow sense of dread. Um, I love that you really didn't explain why Mike Myers came after her in that movie. 
Unfortunately, Halloween 2 added these whole levels of mythology and, and character building, which I thought was totally unnecessary. I thought it was scarier that he was just a crazy psycho that he escaped from the insane asylum who was attacking random teenagers on Halloween. Um, people have different opinions on the sequels, but you have to admit that first Halloween set the bar. And we probably wouldn't have had Friday the 13th or all these other films if it wasn't for the success of the original Halloween. To me, the part of Halloween that scared most people to death is that it, it created the concept of the monster you cannot kill. It just yep. keeps coming back. You can't do... I mean, every horror film or, or film like that in that genre I've seen, you'll finally... the the monster gets his due. It's usually a he. And in this case, it was like, okay, he just never dies. And to me, that's the scariest uh, part. But how all these films that you're mentioning were definitely in the running for me. What else do you have? All right. Uh, number two, we've got an Alfred Hitchcock movie. Probably ignited the whole serial killer genre, and that's Psycho. Yes. Uh, Psycho is probably the first great twist movie where you had the original beginning of the film, you think it's a bank heist movie. You think this one actress in the star and then whoops, takes a huge twist and your expectations are thrown out the window. Got a great twist ending and a career defining performance by Anthony Perkins, which unfortunately he got typecast. Everyone thought he was the creepy psycho loner for the rest of his life. And he tried to do romantic roles and uh, nobody wants to be in a romantic comedy with Norman Bates. Well, he no. did. Well, yeah, that's true. He did. His career did <laughs> definitely take a nosedive after that film. It was big and made him big and famous, but it uh, didn't get propel his career to better things. Okay, I think you have one more left. Is that right? Yep. And this is actually my favorite horror film. One of my top five favorite of all time movies, Stanley Kubrick's The Shining. I love the book. I love the movie. Uh, I tried to watch the miniseries that Stephen King did because he didn't like Stanley Kubrick's vision. I understand the movie version that Stanley Kubrick did differs from the book, but sometimes you have to make changes to capture the essence that the author did. I thought Stanley Kubrick did a great job, and it's one of the most iconic settings in, I think, all of movie history, the Overlook Hotel that Stanley Kubrick created. Uh, iconic images, great music. Great performance by Jack Nicholson. Um, and even, again, another movie where the production of it is really interesting if you read about some of the things that happened. I guess Stanley Kubrick would torture Shelley Duvall on the set, probably because she's not a great actress, and he needed to get a great performance out of her. But she was so stressed out during the filming of that film that her hair started to fall out. I heard Stanley that story. Yeah. That I, yeah. Well, Kubrick could be brutal if he had to be. And, and it paid off in that case. If that's true, whether she's a good or bad actress, I won't get into that. I have to tell you, I've listened to both of your lists and I only have one that uh, dovetails uh, any of yours. So let me go through my list. It's, it's no particular order except the last one is definitely number one. The first one I'll mention is the original Frankenstein film from the 30s. Just a classic film. I think one of the scariest films, especially with the technology and the ability of directors to do what they could do during that period of filmmaking. So I, anybody who watched the original Frankenstein film, which I saw several times as a kid growing up on TV, another one that fits into that is my second film, the original King Kong from 1933, again, that was a terrifying movie for people 
uh, to see at that time, seeing that gigantic gorilla get up on top of the Empire State Building. I mean, that was a technological breakthrough. It doesn't look that great to us today, but again, we have to think about what things were like at that time. So I really love the original Frankenstein. I also love the original King Kong. And, and one more classic film. This is a silent film. Nosferatu, which was the original vampire film, 1922. Uh, That is worth seeing. And again, I remember my grandmother, who lived to be 99, telling me about what it was like during the silent film era. People would go to the movies in the early part of the 20th century and watch, and just what a huge technological breakthrough it was for those people just to see those images up on the screen, even with no sound to go uh, with that. That was a terrifying film. They used lighting and they used what special effects they had to to put forth a very terrifying uh, story. So three of the films are, are classic films from years ago, Nosferatu being the oldest one. I'm going to bring up one that neither one of you brought up, and I thought this was a scary film, Get Out. <laughs> I thought Get Out was a terrifying film. And uh, it had, you know, you think you know where it's going, and then, like, you know, it kind of goes it's like some other terrifying films. It takes a twist you were not expecting, and that's part of the terror. So here's the one that does dovetail with one of, one of you. This is my number one. I think this is the scariest film I have ever seen in a movie theater, and that would be The Shining. And I do think that Stanley Kubrick, set up a, a really scary... The person I went to that movie with walked out of that theater with eyes wide open and they didn't stay that way for the rest of the day. I mean, that that film could really scare you to death. And uh, a tribute to Kubrick, who was able to get what he needed out of his uh, technology and his acting staff, as, uh, as uh, Adam mentioned. So I want to go to the hotel. Apparently... You can stay at the hotel that was the inspiration for the book. I don't think it's where they filmed it because it was a sound set. But um, they do like shining themed uh, Halloween parties <laughs> and stuff. But even if like you're not uh, into the book, it just looks like a really cool resort hotel in Colorado. So I think my wife, who does not like scary movies, she's into it too. Yeah, but uh, what if you start hearing strange noises in the middle of the night? Well, apparently everyone wants to stay in uh, the room. Was it two room two seventeen? Two seventeen. That's yeah. the one, Alec. I think you were trying to get in there. <laughs> I was going to say I would probably do a totally legal gummy or edible and stay in the hotel and see how that worked out. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that well, most people have seen the film. If you haven't, then you'll well, it is see Colorado, it. so that would be. I've, I've seen the movie. I'm, I'm not as hot on Kubrick as you guys are. I like Kubrick a lot, and I like a lot of his movies. He, he's always just so cold. Me, and that's kind of a turnoff. I think I probably, his best film to me was Full Metal Jacket. But even the fr- the front half of that movie is a lot better than the second half, in my opinion. Well, the second half, he's making a point. First half, I think, was more the entertainment part. But uh, no, I'd, so I think that uh, that's that's those are our list. We have uh, a lot of variety in there, and then many of the films you folks, uh, both of you had mentioned were definitely in the running when I tried to put my list together. So it's really hard to get a top five or even a 15. But all the films you mentioned, I like and I've seen and uh, would recommend people see if they're looking for a really interesting, scary time at the movies, even if it's in your home theater. Anything else on that before we move on, gentlemen? I'll mention, so I have a two-year-old, 
And I know a lot of people are looking for Halloween themed movies to watch with their kids. My daughter really likes Halloween, even though she's only two. She didn't go trick or treating last year. She loves pumpkins. Every time she sees a pumpkin, she gets excited and she likes anything Halloween oriented. So I was trying to find stuff to stream. I got for parents. I don't know if we have any parents listening, but here are a few good ones. So there's some kids Halloween movies, Frank and Weenie yeah, on Disney yeah. Plus. That's a cute one. Mm-hmm. Uh, Hotel Transylvania is one with Adam Sandler where they're vampires and stuff. The parents might be a little more bored, but the kids will like like that. There's another one on Netflix that kids might like. And uh, one that parents, I really, really like this film, but there's a big debate about whether it's even a Halloween movie is The Nightmare Before Christmas. Mm. Is it a Halloween movie? Is it a Christmas movie? It's up. I mean, the creator said that it was a Halloween movie, but I don't know. It feels very Christmassy to me. But well, my daughter, Thanksgiving movie. It's a Thanksgiving movie. <laughs> my daughter was singing along to the opening song of "This is Halloween." This is Halloween. So you should record that. I would. I would watch that. With my daughter singing. Yeah, she's cute. Every time your kid does something cute, as soon as you pull out the camera, they stop doing it. Yeah. Stop. Dead that is true. That is true. Yeah. I, I, I went through that uh, just with video cameras in the old days. Okay, gentlemen, let's move on. I want to have talk about one last thing uh, on my agenda here. And that has to do with the state of movie theaters. I think all three of us will watch, you know, in, in home theaters, big screen TVs, whatever at home, we'll watch films there. But we love the movie theater experience. I've always loved it ever since I was a kid. Movie theaters are in big trouble. Let me just go through a few news items that I've just come across lately. The Studio Movie Grill chain filed for bankruptcy the day before we record this. They have one location on the north side of Indianapolis. Flick's Brewhouse in Carmel is still closed. Regal Theaters. Regal Theaters opened and they closed. Most of them. I think they're maybe uh, open in a few markets, but not in the Indianapolis area. AMC Theaters have publicly said just days ago they're going to face bankruptcy unless things change in some way. The new James Bond film, is. And I'm starting to see uh, media stories that it may premiere on a streaming service, which I never thought I would see happen. So I guess the question I would ask the two of you in light of that news and some uh, and other things we have seen in terms of the viability of the movie theater business, by the way, which the studios have said clearly, we're not bailing you out, we're not investing in you. I mean, the, the federal government said years ago that the uh, studios cannot own the movie theaters for antitrust reasons. I'll ask Alec to weigh in first. Uh, what's your take on all this? If they're in big trouble, in all honesty. Um and who knows what the numbers are going to do in the fall uh, regarding COVID cases. They're probably just going to keep going up and up and up. Um, in all likelihood, things are going to close again. Uh, our best shot at, at movie theaters in the future, I would say, is somebody like Amazon coming along and, and buying. How about you? Okay, Adam, what do you think? What are your thoughts on that? So one interesting thing, Disney Plus or Disney announced that their Pixar film sold. Um, which was pushed back. It was supposed to come out, and then it was going to still be a theatrical release. Um, now they're just going to put it on streaming on Christmas Day. Um, and uh, I don't know if it's – I think it's free streaming. I don't even think it's the $30 extra thing they did with Milan. Um, theaters in Europe were very upset because they're open. 
they're open in other countries. And because it's with Mulan, it was theatrical in other countries, but in the United States, you had to rent it. This would be free theatrical, free um, net, uh, streaming everywhere. Uh, they're missing out on the property. Um, I guess the European movie theater chains, they said, we're trying our best to get people to come back out or put all the procedures in place, but we can't bring people to the theaters without movies. And it seems like a lot of the theaters are, un the studios are unwilling to take that risk because um, as we found out, uh, Christopher Nolan's recent uh, blockbuster fell flat on its face and uh, whether it was the quality, maybe it was just too soon, but everyone's afraid to be the next one to jump in. I think Alec though is right. Um, because you can watch it at home, it's just an easy substitute when it comes to COVID. There's a lot of things that you can't replicate and people are going to put the procedures in place and take the risks and they're going to go out. But people have really good home theater systems now. So I think it's given the choice, they'll just avoid that risk. Yeah, a couple of comments. Number one, uh, I think the whole experience at Tenet, you, you said this last time we got together, Adam, that theaters must have content. They have to have something people want to go see. The hope was that Tenet would be that. At least in the United States, that didn't happen. Now, Tenet did okay overseas because it's an action film and translates well into other languages and cultures. The problem was it cost $225 million, we think, to produce that film. It was tens of millions of dollars of marketing. As best I can tell from what I'm... It, uh, yeah, t I, th I was going to say, I think sure. somebody quoted $100 million, but I wasn't sure how accurate that was. And... Well, so what we're seeing is that we're, we're seeing uh, a situation where, as best I can tell, this film has, is going to break even. And it may make a little money, but it's going to take a while. And they tell you, you need your money quickly. That's why you want a good opening weekend and, and so forth, which obviously didn't happen here. So, so Tenet, whatever you may have thought of the film, did not deliver for uh, – the movie theater industry. And, you know, again, the studios have other ways that they can make movies for HBO and Showtime and Netflix and Amazon. And they have platforms out there. they got new platforms. I mean, there's a new NBC has a new platform that's streaming and so forth. So uh, they have places to put their content. But the movie theater operators aren't getting content because they're having, as, as it was mentioned by both of you, People are a little bit afraid to come to a movie theater in this uh, this atmosphere. I'll tell you what I think, and just from a business point of view, we're going to see some bankruptcies. We have that beautiful Goodrich Theater out at Hamilton Town Center, which still hasn't opened because that chain has still been going through bankruptcy. Uh, I think, to me, someday somebody is going to take that theater complex over. It's got a big IMAX theater and all that. But, I, you know... Sometimes you, in some industries, as they move along, you have to go through a bankruptcy or two before it becomes profitable again. And I, I don't say that with any glee. I, I say that as sort of a, uh, a practical sort of business looking forward. Maybe the, the companies that don't – I'm sorry, what's that? Just oh, ask our president about bankruptcies for success. Well, we're uh, we'll, we'll go there today. <laughs> yeah, I'll let I'll leave that comment where it is. But I I do believe that that you have to. You, I think we'll see maybe other companies buy these properties out of bankruptcy and wait to develop them when things are better. I'll tell you the thing that bothers me. 
two things have happened, and I want to get your view on how this will impact the film industry. Two things that have come to my attention in the last week or two. Number one, the CEO of United Airlines had a conference call and told people on that conference call that he sees a turnaround for the airline industry in 2024, three year, well, four, almost four years from now. The other thing is I just finished reading the book by Bob Woodward, Rage, about the Trump administration and other things. And one fact that came out of that is this Dr. Redfield, who was the head of the Centers for, Dis- Centers for Disease Control, has been telling people privately that COVID is going to be with us in a big way for two to three years and that we won't come to anything close to what we've known as normalcy for two to three years. It, he could be wrong, but that is his best assessment as a man who does this for a living and uh, as, so if we are still dealing with COVID over the next two, three years, Alec, do you think the movie theater industry can survive? May lay dormant for a while. And like you said, somebody may come along in the future, like in Amazon, somebody like that, and snatch them up and reopen them. Um, I'm going to keep going to the movies as long as I can. Honestly, it's a good place to social distance right now. Nobody's there. Yeah, and I, that's true. It's been my experience as well. Adam, your thoughts? So now I'll bring it back to Disney again. So they own the Marvel movies, and one of the big movies that was pulled from the calendar was Black Widow, uh, the next MCU movie. And they've got kind of a backlog of these Marvel MCU movies that are going to come out. They don't have any indication that they're going to release those on streaming, Disney Plus, rental, or whatever. They've actually pushed the production of the Marvel-themed TV shows, the live-action shows, the uh, Falcon and Winter Soldier. And I think WandaVision might get moved up because it doesn't mess up their continuity. But um, they are holding on to that and they are still going to release that in theaters, mainly because they know the international box office will be strong and they don't want to miss out on all of that. If we see Black Widow or MCU movies or I think James Bond, if that comes out on streaming, that's really a bad sign. I think, because those were films that were expected to have huge international box offices, movies that they know people might overcome some risk to go see. They would There's a strong enough desire that they would wear a mask, that they would social distance, that they would go at uh, late hours if they had to have additional screenings. Um, if they don't feel the public will go see those films and they don't see light at the end of the tunnel and they start dumping those on streaming services, then it's going to be another year or two. And then when theaters do come back there, I mean, if that happens, things are going to look really bad. I think for movie theaters, um, these are businesses that have high cost. Movie theaters are really expensive to run. Same thing with the airline industry. It's an industry with high costs. So to operate at reduced capacity just does not work for them long term. You know, I, I'm a business owner and our restaurant is one that we have uh, some ways that we cut costs. We run the business ourselves. Uh, we do a lot of carry out. Um, we, we don't have high overhead at our rent space. So we, we could do reduced capacity. We could do social distancing. We could do carry out only and make our business survive. There are other restaurants high-end steakhouses where if not every seat is full most nights of the week they're not making enough money to make it work because the overhead the costs are just so high so uh 
it's going to be tough for movie theaters. Maybe going forward, they have to completely change things, but to ask them to redesign the look of their building, to redesign the layout, uh, I don't think that's something they can do on the fly. I do know Wonder Woman 1984 is still slated to come out, on, I think, on Christmas or Christ- right around Christmas. Last I saw was Christmas time. That could always be subject to change. But Thanksgiving, get pushed. But Thanksgiving is, it doesn't look like there's much of anything. Really, uh, I mean, there are a few films that may be interesting, but the blockbusters are, are not going to be there at Thanksgiving time. And you normally see them beginning at that time period. So things are changing. And uh, I think the real question that you gentlemen have brought up and I've tried to, to think about myself is how will this industry emerge from this pandemic? We will see a different industry, and I wonder what it's going to look like. I think people will still want to go to the movies when they're able and feel comfortable doing so. Okay, I say any- put them in basketball arenas and everyone can spread out and you'll put it on the jumbotron in the basketball arenas and you'll show the movies there. What do you think? Well, the, the, just don't put cardboard cutouts. That's all I say. I, that, <laughs> I think that's, I think those are so the NBA had a really interesting concept where they actually had the videos of people watching the game. That was creative. I thought, but you watch a world series and, and, and I was just watching the Ohio state Nebraska football game before we started uh, recording this. And, and, you know, you see these cardboard cutouts in the stands like, you know, I don't I think really think that like does the much. The Jacksonville for Jaguars could have done that years ago. Yes, yeah, so and you'd think they would have come up with the first idea. <laughs> yeah, they're struggling to get anybody to come to those games. Any uh, final uh, comments? Uh, Alec, first for you, anything you want to say before we wrap this up? Um, trying to think here. Uh, I'm going to keep going to the movies as long as I can. I feel it's safe. I will wear a mask. Uh, I went and saw two movies back-to-back last Sunday. I'm going to see two movies back-to-back tomorrow. They are releasing enough stuff where if you're sort of adventurous like me and go see off-the-wall things, there's stuff for you to go see. So, I'm not saying go if you're uncomfortable, but yeah, yeah. go. So, Adam, have you been going to movie theaters? Uh, no, but I did go to the Carmel Clay Public Library opened up, I think, a week or two ago, maybe two weeks ago, and I've been getting movies from the library. It's great when you're on a budget. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, you save some money, you find some old classics, and uh, your child gets to pick out some books. And if the movie's terrible, you didn't pay for it. So you can just return it to the library, and it's a low risk, uh, could be high reward. And I watched some good stuff I got from the library. I um, watched an old Jimmy Stewart courtroom movie. What was it called with Lee Remick? You saw I was watching it. Was it uh, uh, Anatomy of a Murder? Anatomy of a Murder. That's a great Anatomy film, yeah. Otto Preminger. So yes, one very of the first good. Very good. Film. Films. Yes. And I just got Dial M for Murder today, so I'll watch that. No, I think uh, uh, libraries are a wealth of videos and, and classic videos, and there's some great material there. So uh would recommend uh, people do as you've done, Adam. Uh, we will be back next week. We hope we have something to talk about. <laughs> we, we haven't been on because, number one, we've been busy, but number two, there hasn't been a lot to discuss. So hopefully we have some better news. Here, you uh, know we should talk about next week? What's that? I got an idea. It'll be right before the election. We should do best political movies. Well, okay, we can try that. We can try that. You guys would probably be better first in that than me, but I'm willing to give it a shot. I would like to add before we leave, I'm planning on doing a double feature in early November of two of the movies you guys talked about today. I'm going to do The Trial of the Chicago 7 and Borat 2 together. A Sasha Baron Cohen double <laughs> after spooky season is over. Right now I'm busy 
pretty much only watching horror movies or movies I'm reviewing. But uh, I got some catch up to do next month. I think if you saw those two films uh, that uh, Sasha is in, you wouldn't even know that he was in <laughs> that because he's so made up, looking so different in each of them. But uh, he's brilliant. He's a modern day Peter Sellers. So he is pretty. He's funny, and and he's got his stick. And uh, Peter Sellers might be a, a pretty good comparison. That's true. Well, gentlemen, I hope you all have a very good week. Uh, we thank you for talking to us. Remember, gradeamovies.com. Put it all together. Just type in uh, gradeamovies.com into your browser and, and uh, make sure you bookmark it and go back to it. These two gentlemen write terrific uh, film reviews and other commentaries. Would highly recommend if you like film that you... Uh, You'd be a regular customer and uh, and and keep up with what's happening there. I'm just uh, honored to be the host of this particular show. I do my own film reviews at LarryAndFishers.com under the Arts and Fishers podcasts. So, gentlemen, I, uh, go ahead. I listened to your Chicago 7 review. I enjoyed it, Larry. Well, thank you. That's nice of you to say that. I appreciate that. And we, uh, Again, I haven't had a chance to see many films. Uh, you may know I've just re- recently became a grandfather my grandson is a day's drive away, so we've been making some trips out that way. And um, so it's it's uh, grandparenting is great. I enjoy it, and you two gentlemen will know that feeling not anytime soon, but it's sometime in your life. <laughs> grandparenting. I don't know if that's going to be that soon. <laughs> <laughs> no, you've got a lot of you got plenty of time, Adam. Don't worry about that. Well, uh, thanks again. This is the Great A Movies Podcast. Everybody have a great week, and we all things going well we will be back next week and as adam said we will probably talk about political films as we're very close to the election so be kind and and be safe we thank you once again for listening to our podcast the grade a movies podcast you can find all of the reviews and commentary written by alec Tombs and Adam Austin by going online. Just go to gradeamovies.com. Just put it all together in your browser, gradeamovies.com. Adam and Alec will be back next week. My name is Larry Lannon. I'm your host. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Grade A Movies Podcast. <laughs>